and I did a lot of therapy with kids. I did a lot of playing games during parent-child observations and when I worked with kids and I had these pieces of paper and instead of throwing them out, I just had a stack. And so some of the messages that I would teach kids were written on there. And one in particular was thought, feeling, action. Thoughts lead to feelings that lead to actions. And I still use this today. I think everything starts with a thought, but these kids, they grasp this concept. And when I use different examples and different ways of thinking, there were so many different teaching moments from just that one chart. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. You know, when we think about health in life, all of it merges together. So today's guest, Phyllis, really talks about our mental wellness and how that actually affects our physical capabilities as well. And that many times, you know, when people are down or angry, this is really a thought issue. It's not really a mental health issue as we normally talk about it. It has to do with how we are thinking and our thoughts lead to feelings and those feelings lead to actions. And so we cover that in today's show. So as always, we thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. And if you like what we're doing, pass it on, leave a positive comment, whatever you can do to be able to continue to promote the show. And somebody mentioned the other day, I shouldn't mention this on the show. And I said, well, people, I think, just need to be reminded of just a little help along the way. We're so busy. And so your assistance is very much appreciated. Now, with that, one of the things I do want to mention is we do have a brand new values e-course as well as the values assessment. And the research is linking that as I know my values, my stress level goes down, my resilience goes up, my objectivity increases or improves as well. So all the research around it. So it's in the show notes as far as going to CRG and our online courses. And we called the course, What Do You Really Value? How to Learn What Develops Some People or Other Individuals as Well. So think about that as one of the possibilities. Now, thank you again for listening. And here's our guest, Phyllis Ginsberg. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, one of the themes that we have on Secrets of Success is your health, your wellness. You know, we can have purpose in life. We can actually be skilled in our communications. We could be amazing leaders. But if your health sucks, that's not really going to help much. And today we have an amazing guest who has a couple of books. We'll talk about them in a minute, who really is focusing on us getting our energy back. She, actually, her book, one of her book titles is Tired and Hungry No More. Well, I'm interested to hear about that. So welcome, Phyllis Ginsberg, to the show. Welcome, Phyllis. Thanks, Ken. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, as we want to serve the Secrets of Success listeners with you know your strategies, your thoughts, what's in your books, all the things that you're doing, but before we get there, we always like to hear people's story about what was their journey to get to where they're at. And, you know, all of us, can, excuse me, can relate to that. Uh, Phyllis, tell us a little bit about your journey from growing up to today. Okay, so I actually have two defining 
stories or moments, if you might. Uh, actually, the first was being born to a mom who was in chronic pain with arthritis, migraine headaches. She wasn't available emotionally, mentally, physically. So there's a huge health story there that because she didn't take good care of herself, she couldn't do the things that as a parent, a child needs. You can't be available if you're in pain, if you're bedridden, uh, if you're medicated, mm. all, all of those things. And so I became this over-responsible child at a really young age. So and what I age was, are we talking about, Phyllis? Uh, probably five, six, seven. By eight years wow. old, I was doing most of the cooking and cleaning at home. Amazing. Now, just so I don't lose the questions, Phyllis. Yes. What were some of the lifestyle decisions that your mom had made you believe led to her condition? Well, when I look back, and I think now, like, yeah, a lot of people have arthritis and migraine headaches, and so, you know, like, they cope, they figure it out. But I know that she didn't take good care of herself. She smoked. She overate. She probably ate to cope with things. She probably didn't sleep well because she was sleeping most, you know, during the day or laying in bed. What got me, though, when I think back is she ate so poorly. And as a kid, intuitively, I knew, like, what you ate mattered. But I was mm. brought up eating the standard American diet, meat and dairy and all of that. And when I had my first blood test at 19 years old, so I went to a weight loss program. They took your blood test. I wasn't obese, but I was heading that way. And I think if I didn't do something different, that that could have been disastrous health-wise for me. I thought everything was genetic and I'd follow in her footsteps. And I had super high cholesterol and triglycerides. And why that was so impactful for me is because when I was 15, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had surgery. I thought everything was looking better. But 10 months later, she died. And that left a huge imprint of why health has mattered to me. And I have been on this journey of prevention for about 40 years. So it, it really anchored you at that time. Now, and sorry to hear that. And it's interesting. We've my dad's dad died when he was 16 and that really did affect him. I, you know, when we look back about how he interacted with us, it just does leave a void, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. However, you've converted that as a passion towards wellness and, you know, with a person with a, a diploma in nutrition and genetics, I get it. I understand that. But I want to just back up for a second. How did you emotionally cope with that kind of, pressure or responsibility as a child that's 8 to 15, and how can the listeners convert that into something they could apply? You know, that's a great question, and I think that part of my nature has been to, almost like a first responder, I do really well when there's chaos and stress, and I don't know if I was born that way or I just cultivated that ability, but I knew that because I didn't want to get in trouble and yelled at and all those things growing up, which I did, and I was a good kid, so it didn't make sense to me why I'd get in trouble and yelled at, except that my mom was 
probably frustrated and irritated and I was making normal kid noises and decisions and mistakes and all that. So I never took on that there was something wrong with me, like I was bad. I just didn't have it like the right kind of parenting to be able to figure out what was what uh, and have open conversations with my parents about things. Mm. So and, what, what was your dad doing in the midst of this sort of... <laughs> I imagine that if she was emotionally sort of withdrawn, and I get it, you know, pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a back injury when I was 16, and I was in just horrid pain for a, a couple of decades. So I get mm. it. Yeah. So what did? So how did that sort of affect that relationship there? Well, my dad was gone a lot. He worked, obviously. Uh, you know, we're talking back in the 60s when usually mom stayed home with kids, dad went out and worked. But I don't think he really wanted to stay home either. I didn't want to be there. And for sure, he didn't want to be there. And so he wasn't around a whole lot. Mm. So just retreat from the environment to mm -hmm. the place and, and use work as a reason or an excuse to, to I retreat. think so. And mm. I loved, as a, as a kid, I loved making a tent in my bedroom. And under my desk, I had the, this furniture that was in the corner. And I would just like hide or hang out under my desk reading books or whatever it was that I could do to create this safe space. You know, when I look back, I wasn't conscious of it back at eight or 10, what I was doing, but I think that made a, a huge difference in my being able to just like, okay, I have this nice safe space that I could hang out in. Mm. Now, Thank you, Phyllis. Now, one of the things the listeners are just learning is that you're also a marriage and family therapist. So you're, you're, you have this family situation. You're now, your mom is now gone. You're still in high school. Mm -hmm. What happened then when you transitioned from that? If your dad's away, you're, are you home alone or do you have siblings or, or what occurred there? Well, I had, I still have a twin sister who we have never been close. Uh, and we did have a 19-year-old housekeeper that stayed with us um, and helped my mom in her last, like, the last year that mm. she was alive. So she was there. I don't remember her speaking very much English. But so she was there, and she seemed more upset than my sister and I. I think we were just in shock about the whole thing because no one really told us what was going on. Like, mm. There was no communication about my mom's health or what was happening. And so just really an emotionally closed environment at that time. Totally. And it mm. took a decade in order for me to deal with the grief. It, it, I shelved it until my first daughter was born. I had no place to go with it. I didn't even know, like, there were support groups or anything like that. As a 15-year-old, when you're a kid, you just don't know what you don't know. And if you're not getting mentored or having parenting around you to support you that way, then that is exactly what occurs or happens with individuals. So did you go to university afterwards? Yes. And what I was went. really motivating you there? So you had this health and wellness side, but you also have this marriage and family therapist side. So where right. did that come out of? Well, I went to college because I knew 
I wanted to do something. I didn't have any idea how to apply, how to do anything. Uh, I, I applied to one school and that was USC because I lived in Southern California and I knew one other person who was going. Uh, and somehow I figured out how to apply. I lived at home because I didn't know how to navigate housing. So there were a lot of pieces that I just like got myself there and and it was stressful. It was difficult. I felt lost. I wasn't prepared for college. When I look back, I think, yeah, I did have some years of depression because all that suppressed emotion and not being able to talk mm. to people. Uh, and it wasn't until about eight, nine years later that I went back and got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. My undergraduate's in business, which I have a great business mind. But I knew this whole emotional piece I had to deal with. And I thought going to therapy school should be, it should take care of all of it. It's like a lifetime of therapy, or so I thought. And what, uh, what was the outcome for you going to therapy school? When I went originally, I had no idea how serious the profession was. And I really went for me. I didn't go with the intention of helping other people. I wasn't sure if I was going to do the 3,000 hours to get licensed and then the written exam and the orals. Like all of that was just, the, they were big hoops to jump through, which mm. obviously I did. And I was only going to do them once. So when I set my mind to something, I can do it. I'm, I'm very focused like that. I needed and I wanted to be a better mom, a better wife. I wanted to raise my kids much differently than I was raised. And I needed tools and skills. So the underlying sort of motivation for this was just to be able to serve and interact with others better, both personally and professionally. And that exactly. drove, uh, drove you in that area. So here we are now. You survived. Mm -hmm. You yeah. thrived, in fact. So for the listeners, we always want to make sure that we have sort of practical applications. If you were to share with the listeners, what were some of the characteristics and qualities you embraced that were really able to move you forward? We'll, we'll stay with the family and marriage side for the moment, but just mm -hmm. really kind of embrace that side. For me, somewhere in there, I have this perseverance, like never give up. That there's, I can look back and I can say, wow, maybe I was guided to this or things tend to work out. It may be a little messy at first or maybe I'm not so sure about things, but they really do work out. And I've held on to those uh, beliefs that even when something seems so awful, there's always this other something wonderful that happens. And I don't know if anybody else experiences that, but I I started pairing like when something really bad happens, there's a new beginning of something wonderful. Mm. Well, I guess it's, you know, taking whatever we've been, the hand we've been dealt and we've all heard this as a cliche in playing the hand that we're dealt as best as we can at that time. And then just moving forward and continuing to be in the game. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. Now, before we get into the tired and hungry sort of theme, what were some of the things that you picked up over all those years of doing family therapy or counseling with others? 
What are some of the themes of situations that people came in to your practice with? And then what would you typically teach them so that, again, our listeners can gravitate to some of these ideas and strategies from you? Well, actually, my niche for about 12, 15 years uh, was high-conflict divorce. And I did everything from child custody evaluations, mediations, co-parenting, like the worst of the worst stuff mm-hmm. in the county that I live in, in the Bay Area of California. And a lot of my work was assessment. Some of it was obviously the co-parenting and reunifications were more therapeutic. And I did a lot of, of therapy with kids. And the thing I I remember, I did a lot of playing games during parent-child observations and when I worked with kids. And I had these pieces of paper. And, and instead of throwing them out, I just had a stack. And so some of the messages that I would teach kids were written on there. And one in particular was thought, feeling, action. Thoughts lead to feelings that lead to actions. And I still use this today. I think everything starts with a thought. You may have really strong feelings. You don't know what your thoughts are. Things are out of your awareness. But these kids, they grasp this concept. And when I use different examples and different ways of thinking, they were able to see they could think in a positive way, in a negative way, in a neutral way. There were so many different teaching moments from just that one chart. So I agree with you, Phyllis, that you know my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, that we don't have a depression problem, we have a thought problem. So what can you teach the listeners if they're going through some of these feelings which are negative? How do we actually change our thoughts? How do we, how do we adjust it? What are some of the things that we could do? Well, I wrote a whole book on it called Brain Makeover. And there are so many different ways. Like week one, it's a 52-week book. Week one is to look for your happiest moment of the day. And the reason why you want to do something like look for your happiest moment of the day and write it down at the end of the day, maybe three to five things, is because then you're going through your day looking for things that make you happy. Uh, Some people keep a gratitude journal, but being grateful is different than finding something that's uniquely yours, that makes you happy, that makes your heart sing, that you enjoy doing. And that changes your brain chemistry and your neuro- grows new neural pathways as well. So how does it change our brain, our brain chemistry? Not to get into the technical side, but if, as listeners, what, do we, what is it doing to us if we're thinking about something that made us happy during the day? So let me start with what happens when you think of things that are stressful, fearful, or worrisome. You're producing stress hormones. You might be in fight or flight where your body is then just rushing adrenaline and cortisol through your system. Your body's tense, stressed, and you're in reactive mode. It's like autopilot, just getting through. But when you are having happy thoughts, positive thoughts, your body then produces feel-good hormones like serotonin and dopamine. And when you have that happening, 
you can be calm, relaxed. Your thoughts aren't running. You're not spinning in your head. Things aren't moving at such a fast pace, or you're, you can be more aware. And what, what I teach and say is that when you're in that place where you've got happy thoughts, it opens up for possibilities that you have connections to inner guidance, to wisdom, to your wise self, your higher self, whatever you call those things. And then you can take deliberate action. Mm. Well, the, I mean, the research is clear, Phyllis, is that when, when, I'm, when I'm in a, a spiral down and negative, then my creativity and my capacity is severely hindered. So sure. the opposite makes sense on that. So th that's great, and we thank you for that. So what would be a couple other things that's in your book? And so, listeners, it's called Brain Makeover, a weekly guide to a happier, healthier, and more abundant life. My understanding, now, we never know with podcasts when somebody's listening to this podcast. It could be three years from now or three minutes from now. Uh, but you're coming out with your second edition on that. So what are some of the other strategies that are in that book that, all of us can embrace so that we can be happier and healthier. There are readings in here, and each reading is like a page, maybe two pages. Uh, they're weekly readings that have to do with feelings. For example, anger. Being someone who dealt in the world of high conflict divorce and prior to that in my internship, I worked with a lot of court ordered batters, anger management, people who were ordered for 52-week better treatment. Uh, and I think that while a lot of people might have depression or anxiety, underneath that is often anger. So there's, there's reasons to rate your anger, to see if you can get in touch with some of that, and to be able to get to a place of reclaiming the space in your head. Because all those thoughts that you may not even be aware of are still in there. They're running around in your subconscious and that can prevent someone from expressing themselves in any way. Like depression is repressed emotion. Mm. And is there a sort of a direction when it's op oppressed emotion or is it run the gamut? what could be contributing to that depression? Could it be some kind of abuse from before? Could it be some personal anger issues? Could it be something else where I felt rejected when I was a kid or bullied? So are all of these that feed down that pathway or is it unique? I would say it is across the board. It could be anything. I've been working with adults, uh, one particular, and this was in a group, we were talking about bullying and this woman had a memory of when she was in middle school being bullied and she didn't realize how much that impacted her. But as she got dressed every morning, at least four or five days a week, she had these negative thoughts like, Oh, you don't know how to put your clothes together. Well, you look ugly in that all these statements that were told to her by these other girls when she was in school. So we did some work on it and then she was able to release it and no longer has those thoughts when she gets ready in the morning. Mm. So if I'm listening to the show, what would be some strategies that I could embrace to maybe uncover these, discover these, work with any hidden emotions regardless? The first thing I would say is to look at what's not working. 
if you can narrow down the one area that isn't working that you can identify and because that will give you some clues if you're not sure at all where your situation is coming from reflecting on experiences that shaped your thoughts beliefs and actions is another way to do that if someone listening were to want to figure out what is going on beyond where they're at whether they're depressed or anxious or angry by reflecting on experiences that shaped those thoughts and beliefs and the actions which could be patterns and habits that aren't working they could be coping skills that no longer work then you can have some more self-awareness and you might need to do this with somebody who is experienced or, you know mental health professional it's not always easy to do inner work on yourself fair enough but you also have to choose to do it so my encouragement is people that listen to this show for the most part is self-awareness is one of our anchor points where we believe that it's a meta skill for the 21st century in all contexts you know mm -hmm. as a leader as an individual if I don't know that I don't know then how can I deal with it um, so I mean some of that work has been out there for a while and um, we we concur with that so any before we move into tired and hungry anything else around the brain makeover of things that I can do so that I can have this sort of positive outcome around these interactions with my brain there's another aspect that in uh, brain research that we don't have to dive into what hasn't been working uh, in order to make progress and by that I mean you can grow new neural pathways it's possible to shift to incorporating more fun play and enjoyment in your life which are some of the categories in the weekly readings in brain makeover and that in itself when you seek out happiness fun play enjoyment uh, self-care putting yourself on your to-do list all of these things are going to boost your feel-good hormones and you don't have to go back and rehash the past in order to get where you're going uh, and make some positive changes mm. Phyllis I agree with that it was interesting with some work doing with another counselor and just having a conversation that same direction where a lot of times the the old model was okay let's just kind of go through all the stuff that are bothering you but really you're just actually enhancing or anchoring that negative situation even further if that's all you're talking about you want to move towards something rather than just keep talking about what you did before so uh, I appreciate your insight on that and, and for the listeners too is sure we can have these conversations but at the same time what do we want to move towards and exactly and, and focus on that on what does work for us and forget the rest uh, or at least move on from the rest maybe not forget so thank you for that Phyllis so if we can do a segue a transition mm -hmm. and we've done shows here on health and wellness we've had dr. Tom O'Brien we've had Jonathan Baylor we've all the different experts on health and wellness on before and we were talking about your mum before around health related sort of illness mm 
and we know that the stats, it's mostly lifestyle-related in some form or another. Tired and hungry, what, what is this book about? So you can be literally tired. You can be exhausted. You could be tired of a situation, fed up. You could be hungry because you don't get enough real food because you're eating too much processed food, junk food, sugar, empty calories. You could be hungry for more in your life. It's all of that. So how do I reclaim my life? And just so you, um, people have heard this story before if you're a ongoing Secrets of Success listener, but in 1988, I was misdiagnosed as manic depressive. Put on lithium, actually, Phyllis. Mm. And then discovered I was actually, and it hit insistence of a friend of mine who's a counselor out of Texas, I did a glucose tolerance test and found out I was extreme hypoglycemic and I was medicating myself with a couple of gallons of Coke a day. So that was a long time ago. So with, with that, I mean, our input really does create this output. So what are you teaching people in terms of not being tired anymore, trying to reduce this hunger? And I get around this processed food and just how much it's damaged us since about the 50s. But what are you teaching individuals so they can get their energy back? So I broke my book down into different parts. There's healthy mind, healthy eating, healthy body, healthy sleep, healthy movement, and 50 healthy recipes. And I would say if somebody were to prioritize getting adequate sleep might even be right up there with getting your mind to be thinking in the direction of what you want to go, where you want to go. And we've talked a lot about like the brain and thinking. That is the healthy mind part. And when you can figure out for yourself, and I, I take people through why your efforts haven't worked and uh, reaching your full potential, how to assess for those and, and move toward that, which is great. But those aren't going to happen if you're sleep deprived and if you're fueling your body with things that aren't giving your body the best chance for you to have the energy to show up every day. If you're in poor health and you've got aches and pains, your focus is going to be on what you can't do rather than what you can do. So what's some of the steps as far as what you want me to shift in terms of uh I'll call it uh, the intake in how can I be healthier in terms of my food. So I'm going to get my sleep. I'm going to shift my mindset. Now what? I'd say decrease sugar, eat more real food, plant-based food. Uh, you can have, depending on it, if, if you've got super high cholesterol like I did, I went, I didn't know at the time, but I went vegan. Uh, I thought it was just being vegetarian. No one used the word vegan back then. But mm -hmm. I cut out anything and everything that had cholesterol and lowered my cholesterol to normal in six weeks, which gave me so much ability to have control over my health and my destiny. It really was a huge defining moment. And I, and I would want anybody listening to realize that there is so much research out here today because we're talking 40 years ago and there is more research today 
showing that you can reverse health situations that are food-related, lifestyle-related. And there's nothing more satisfying than having your health because when you don't, it impacts every area of your life. Mm. So are you coaching and counseling uh, clients around their, I'll call it their food lifestyle or that kind of lifestyle side of things? I don't focus so much on the food part unless somebody really wants that. My expertise in food and eating uh, has been by, well, what I've been doing myself, the education that I got in different programs, research. I don't have a degree in nutrition. And my passion is for working with the the mindset, the thoughts, the things that have to get put in a in a direction so that you can carry out what it is that you need to do in order to to first get on the path. Because if you've got these obstacles and you don't know what you're uh, what you need to do, or you have a lot of resistance to doing it, that's going to be the first place to intervene. And then it's easier to achieve your goals and maintain them if you've got the right mind. Like if your brain's on board, you're good to go. But if you're constantly fighting the thoughts that you have and you're feeling deprived and you question, why do I have to give up this and give up that? That could be a deal breaker. For sure. Now, if you can believe it, Phyllis, we're already ra- in getting to the end of the show. And before we get to some of your, I'll call it, final thoughts about your books and your work, how can people, if they want to find out more about you or to get one of your books, how can they, where could they go to find out about that? Well, my website's probably the best place, and that's phyllisginsburg.com. And I'll spell it, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S. G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G, so phyllisginsburg.com. My books are available anywhere books are sold, so Amazon, Kindle, bookstores. Welcome to the online world, right? Yes. And then those two books are called Brain Makeover and then Tired and Hungry No More uh, for individuals that are listening there. So we've already, you know, gone through a lot of time here, but with that, Phyllis, if you were to leave me, I'm your best friend, and you're leaving me with like two pieces of wisdom beyond what you've shared already today, what would that be, Phyllis? I would say that if you don't put yourself first, no one else is going to. So putting yourself on your to-do list, making sure that you've got some self-care, that rate's really high. If you don't take care of yourself, if you don't slow down enough, get enough sleep, eat properly, you're probably not going to be as good of a employee, employer, a friend, a spouse, a parent, or just a human being. Mm. Don't give up because it is possible to shift things and it doesn't have to be hard or take a long time. Well, this goes back to your comment about persistence in the beginning of the show, which we sort of started and opened that that was a characteristic or quality that you were able to embrace even at five and six. 
stay with us, Phyllis. But thank you very much for being on the show today and sharing with us around the brain makeover and tired and hungry and part of your story. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you for having me on, Ken. You're welcome. And so everybody, if you're looking for it, it's Phyllis Ginsburg. And you can go online, get her books, find out more about her journey and some of the work that she does. And hey, it's always good to have good habits. And so if you have 52 weeks, it's already in a book to be able to think differently, alter your steps, change your direction and trajectory, then maybe you should consider that. Now, as always, we thank you for listening to Secrets of Success, using your most valuable commodity, your time. If you like what we're doing, just share, pass it on, let other people know about Secrets of Success. My encouragement though from today's show is that if your mind is racing, if you're thinking about things in a negative way, then you do have the opportunity and also the responsibility to shift it. And then you can also take charge of that wellness and health level of yourself so that you can bring your best self and so you can have a happier, more joyful, more fulfilling life. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring The Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.